Uh, so this morning, um, uh, I need to pray. Uh, Father, uh, this morning as we look at the topic of your incredibly powerful and magnificent Holy Spirit, please, by your Spirit, reveal your truths to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so far, we've been preaching our way through Romans, and and we kind of got to chapter eight, and it's kind of like kind of like we slowed down a bit. We're just uh, a few verses at a time. It's been really, really good. Uh, and last earlier this week, I was talking with Derek, and he said that it struck him how many times the Holy Spirit is mentioned in chapter eight, and maybe we should stop and talk about the theme of the Holy Spirit um, in the context of Romans eight. And so for the next three weeks, um, that's what we're going to do. Today, um, we are going to look at the Holy Spirit's role in salvation and the, Christ- and the Christian life. And that'll be kind of uh, part one of, of, of three. Um, I said to Alex this morning, I do feel ill-equipped. And this morning, I don't um, expect to bring you a whole theology of the Holy Spirit all in one 20 minute package Um, but certainly as we uh, learn and look at his word um, uh, we can um, help understand the Holy Spirit because it says that the word and the spirit agree so what is in his word is true to his Holy Spirit as well Um, In the first um, seven chapters of Romans, Paul mentions the Holy Spirit only four times. But in chapter 8 alone, he mentions the Holy Spirit 14 times. There's something going on here. There's there's kind of like a change. It's kind of like, hello, have we changed topics? What's going on? My suggestion this morning is that Paul has not changed his topic, but he's building up his argument in this letter to the Romans to reach a very important point. He spent um, seven chapters laying a foundation that will flow into what my Bible call or titles life in the spirit. And so um, let's let's look at the overview of Romans once again. And uh, please, this morning, uh, feel free to interrupt, ask questions, um, I may or may not be able to answer, but we can certainly um, work through these things in, in, in the biblical context. So back in chapter 1, um, Sal, if you can put up Romans 1, 16 to 17, thank you. Um, we said way back then that these two verses are the thesis statement of Romans. This is the main point of the book of Romans. Uh, For I am not ashamed of the gospel... For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And we see uh, here this idea that the Christian life, powered by the gospel, is started through faith. And it's lived out through faith. We are given righteousness through faith. 
And what I hope that we will come to see this morning is the Holy Spirit's involvement in this in it, at every step. Um, Romans 3 verse 22 repeats this theme by saying that our righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference for all who have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that has come by Christ Jesus. The first seven chapters of Romans are all about our justification by the grace of God through faith. When Paul gets to chapter 7, he talks about the severe struggle with sin. And he finishes this struggle with this incredible statement in verse eight, uh, chapter 8, verse 1, which is one of my favourite verses. Therefore, there is therefore, and the therefore is because of everything that's gone before in the previous seven chapters, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is the essence of Christianity. This is the gospel message. This is the core of what we are on about as Christians. This is God's message to the world. God is the justifier of the ungodly and he applies this justification to us by the Holy Spirit. Can I say at this point, as we begin to talk about the Holy Spirit, um, it's, it's important to think of the Holy Spirit as a person. John 16, 8 uh, and in other places says the Holy Spirit is not an it uh, or not simply a power source like a battery or a PowerPoint. He is a person. He is part of the Godhead. He is Lord. He's the giver of life. Uh, he is worshipped and glorified along with God the Father and Jesus the Son. He always gives glory back to the Father and to the Son. And he does not seek his own glory. Uh, John sixteen fourteen tells us that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Sorry, that's from Matthew 1 verse 20. Um, the Holy Spirit, my point is the Holy Spirit's a person. Um, as, a, as a little side note, it's actually important to know the nature and the character of the Holy Spirit. Because if someone is claiming to be of the Spirit, um, but does not match up to the character of the Holy Spirit, then they're not. Um, we know what the fruit of the Holy Spirit looks like. The Holy Spirit completely lines up with the character of God. In, in the Bible, um, in Scripture, the Holy Spirit does many things. 
Um, he, and I say he, remember, he, he's a person, uh, is our helper, as we told the kids this morning. Uh, he's our teacher. Uh, he reminds us of the things that Jesus said. He points to Jesus. Um, he dwells in us. Uh, he is the power of God. He guides us in righteousness. He is our deposit of guarantee. He gives gifts. I'm just going to leave that one in, th- in three words for now. We'll talk about that in another um, part of Romans. Um, he renews us. He washes us. He intercedes for us. He sanctifies us. And he pours his love into our hearts. He seals us up for salvation. He secures us for salvation. But I think if you boil all this right down, um, and I said to Derek, maybe an oversimplification, he corrected me, no, not an oversimplification. The The Holy Spirit does two main things in the life of a believer. He applies salvation to us. The second thing is that he enables us to live the Christian life that he has given us. That is, to love God and to love our neighbour as ourselves. Um, 1 Corinthians 6 verse 11, I think, captures both of these points. It says, But you were washed of sin and guilt and shame. You were sanctified. That means you were made holy and set apart for a purpose. You were justified. That means you were declared innocent in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. This is the main work of the Holy Spirit. When we are justified, something very powerful and supernatural happens to us. And I say supernatural because it goes against all natural laws. Verse 7 this morning tells us that a non-Christian mind has hostility towards God and cannot submit to the goodness of God. Romans 3.11 says, no one seeks God. And yet, we who are saved no longer walk in the flesh, but in the spirit, verse 4 tells us. We, are no, we no longer have a desire against God, but our desire is for God. The mere fact that you are in church here this morning wanting to submit to the will of God is a complete miracle performed by the Holy Spirit. That goes against all the rules and the laws of the world. If you're a believer, a supernatural event has taken place and this is no small work of God. Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is the reality of salvation. The evidence, however, 
is that we are in Christ, the evidence that we are in Christ is the power of sin has been broken in our lives by the Holy Spirit. Verse 2 says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And I think to see what Paul's talking about here, about the law of sin and death, we only need to go back a few verses in chapter 7, verse 21. And he says, so I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right here with me. There's a power or a law that draws us to sin and ultimately death. But the power of the Spirit sets us free from that. We are free to act in righteousness because the Holy Spirit has set us free. The other day at um, Cole's baptism service, um, in his testimony, Cole shared how his life has changed. It was an amazing testimony. My prayer is that his family, uh, and his prayer is that his family will see that change and understand the miracle that's gone on there. In fact, other people have commented on how Cole has changed. It's a godly change. The law of the spirit of life has set Cole free from the law of sin and death. That is Holy Spirit power. It's important to get this the right way around. If we put verse 2 before verse 1, we don't have Christianity. We're not talking about perfection here. If as a Christian you strive for perfection to prove that you belong to Christ, you're in real danger because you're trying to save yourself. Verse 3 and 4 tells us that the righteous requirement of the law is already fulfilled in Christians. Not because of what we do, but because of what Jesus has done. And because of that grace, we walk according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. In uh, Romans 8, we see that the Holy Spirit does the work, but there's also a participation or or an involvement on our part. We're not casual bystanders here watching God do stuff. We are actively involved. Um, And I notice a few things in the passage this morning. The first thing I notice is in verse 4, it says that we walk. Walk is an action word. According to the Spirit. This means that we continue to trust in God. But it also means that the Spirit gives us the power to live the Christian life. The second thing uh, is that um, Paul actually kind of changes his word, the, the action from walking to living uh, in verse 5. It says, um, living according to the Spirit. And he says that those who are living according to the Spirit have set their minds, more action, on the things of the Spirit. Uh, This means that as we continue to trust God, we set our minds on the things that the Spirit is on about. But it also means that the Holy Spirit 
gives us the desire to live the Christian life. To walk, to live, to set your minds. I think all describe the same thing. The different words to give you a fuller picture of what's going on here. New Christians, I find, nearly always say to me, you know, I just don't want to live in the old ways anymore. I just, want, I just don't want to do that stuff. I just don't want to do that. And that's the Holy Spirit at work. The consequences are... Uh, are that in verse 6 it says to set your mind on the flesh is death but to set your mind on the spirit is life and peace if we've been saved for life we don't look back to death now this is not something that we might conjure up with an atmosphere it's a matter of life and death you're in Christ or you're not you're saved or you're not To set our minds on self-gratification leads to death. But a mind set on the Spirit of God is life and peace. Not because we enter this euphorical mantra where we think good thoughts like Happy Gilmore, if you know the movie, but that a person's Holy Spirit actually dwells... Sorry. The person of God's Holy Spirit actually dwells with inside of us. And verse 11, we have um, perfect peace with Almighty God. We can live a full life as God intends us, as well as living in the promise of life eternal. Uh, The next thing that I notice is in verses 12 and 13, uh, we have an obligation. We are debtors. We have a debt. Not to the flesh. But to the spirit. If to the spirit we put to death the deeds of the flesh, we will live. Like I said earlier, we're not casual bystanders. We're actively involved. But... We can't do it by ourselves. We can only do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Notice in the second half of verse 13, it doesn't say, you put to death the deeds of the flesh. It says, by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the flesh. And that's a massive difference. The fifth point of um, participation is that we are led by the Spirit. And verse 14 tells us that, that this, this, this means something. This means that we're his sons. Sons means um, an heirship. Son, sons means um, an inheritance. And uh, in today's world where um, you know, we like to say sons and daughters... Paul's actually going over the top of that here. He's, he's not making everybody equal. He's making everybody like the firstborn son who inherits everything. The sons and the daughters are fellow inheritors. 
in eternal life. Our part is simply not to be stiff-necked, but allow the Holy Spirit to lead us. The point that I want to make here this morning as um, I conclude is about the work of the Holy Spirit is that he is always present. He's always working to bring you from justification to glory. He applies salvation to us. He brings the accomplished work of Jesus on the cross and he puts it in our hearts. He gives us the gift of faith that we would actually believe. Because to the world it's foolishness. It's rubbish. But for us, it's the wisdom of God. And it's peace. And the Holy Spirit doesn't leave us there. He takes us freshly saved, but still living in a body that has the consequences of the fall. A body that still sins, a body that will deteriorate and die. But he renews us. He sets us free. Free from the slavery of denying God. Free from the slavery of sin. The Holy Spirit will make sure we get to glory. That's pretty powerful, hey? In, in closing, I want to look at Ephesians 3.16. And here, um, Paul's praying for the Ephesians to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And what I, want to, what I want you to see up here is what he's actually praying for. Right? He's praying for the Ephesians to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the things that he asks, he says, I pray out of his glorious riches that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have the power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the full measure of all the fullness of God. That's Paul's prayer to be filled with the Holy Spirit.